Well, we are going to start a new series this week that I have entitled Unexpected, When God Changes Our Plans. And uh, in getting ready for this series, I was brainstorming with Angela Simonson of Father Abraham fame, who is up here, because um, she does our graphics, and we were trying to say, what do we use for uh, a graphical image to convey this idea of the unexpected? And uh, we were batting ideas around, and uh, we ran up by the staff. Uh, Angela asked other people in the office if they had ideas of some images that came to mind when they thought of the unexpected. And uh, Kayla Talbot, our uh, director of children's ministries, right away said, a flat tire. <laughs> Which I agree. I mean, a flat tire really does epitomize the unexpected. And yet, I, I just couldn't bring myself to make that the center image for the next several weeks we go through this series. So we opted not to go with the flat tire image. Uh, I did some more looking around myself. I looked online trying to get some ideas for this, and I came across a couple of photos that I think certainly capture the mood. I'm not sure it's what we're gonna use, but I thought I'd share them with you. Uh, here's one. So our dog just brought the sprinkler in through his doggy door. How's your day going? <laughs> that, would, that would be unexpected. Or uh, how about this one? A woman surprised to find an old picture of herself, younger, slimmer, and falling in love with her future husband, showed him the picture. He said, wow, look at that. That's my old Impala. <laughs> the unexpected. Well, uh, when all was said and done, we ended up with this image of an open door. Because you can't tell exactly what is on the other side. There, there might be something really wonderful waiting for you through that door. Or it might be something really difficult. But you know that when you step through it, things are going to be different. You're going to be in a different place. Over the years, I've been exposed to a variety of management and leadership training courses. And one of the things that often gets discussed is the importance of long-range planning. You know, making a, making a goal, setting plans, putting things in motion, and, and taking time to strategically think ahead about where you're going. Uh, but I've got to be honest with you. The times that I have tried to make up five-year plans, life has almost never gone anything even close to what my five-year plan was. In fact, sometimes my five-day plan isn't very good. Uh, let, me, let me give you just a case in point. Uh, Monday. March 9th, 2020. Uh, I was having this conversation with some of the church staff, and this topic about live streaming church services came up because a lot of churches were starting to experiment with live streaming their services, a way to you know, expand their reach. And, and I got to tell you, I grew up in a home where my dad watched a lot of televangelist programs. And, and you know, it's the ones where the guys had perfect teeth and there were these constant appeals to send in money. And for some reason, the women all had like really big hair. I don't know what that was. Um, but so much of what I saw depicted on those TV programs seemed to be a far cry from what I understood the teaching and the priorities of Jesus were. And so uh, really, there was nothing in me that ever desired to be a TV preacher. That just brought up all kinds of negative images in my mind. I've also got this firm belief that the church, as Jesus ordained it, demands that people need to be connected with people. That it's not just a spectator event that we watch. We need each other and to be involved with each other. And so with great conviction on that Monday, March 9th, as we were talking this over about live streaming services, would we ever do that? I declared 
with great confidence that we would never do a live stream of our services. On Sunday, March 15th, we attempted our first live stream. That's what my five-day plans look like. And of course, now we have a full-time video professional on staff. We have a video studio. So much for my ability to plan the future. If the last couple of years have taught us anything, it is to expect the unexpected. But we all know that that's nothing new. I mean, COVID has made the world as a whole lurch from one unexpected interruption to another. But the fact is, most of our lives, with or without COVID, really are timelines that are punctuated on a regular basis by the unexpected. Some of those things are pleasant surprises, right? Uh, you get a little ring in a box. Sydney, hold the hand up, show us the hardware. Go ahead. Sydney got engaged. Good job. Or maybe you get an unexpected promotion on the job. Or uh, maybe you've been wanting to start a family for a long time, but, but the pregnancy test never came back positive, and suddenly it shows up positive. Or it's a birthday party, just when you were sure that nobody had remembered, and, and they do remember, and they surprise you. Some of the surprises that come into our lives, of course, are shocking, even tragic. There's a, a sudden crushing pain in your chest, and there's an ambulance ride to the hospital, and life suddenly changes. Or a little disagreement, maybe something political, that, that somehow spirals out of control, and suddenly a friendship is lost. Or a car that comes out of nowhere, and metal twists and glass breaks, and life unexpectedly changes. Maybe it's an investment that goes in the tank when you were banking on it going through the roof. And then there are those sudden points of redirection where it seems obvious that God is asking us to step out in faith and do something that we've never dared before. So knowing that all of us have been living with and feeling the stress of the unexpected, I got thinking about what different Bible characters had encountered. And, and the more I thought about it, the longer the list grew of characters in Scripture whose lives were affected and redirected by the unexpected. So for the next several weeks, we're going to look at stories of a variety of Bible personalities who encountered the unexpected in a variety of ways. Some of their surprises were good. Some of them were grievous. Some of them were frightening. But regardless, God was present in and over and through it all. So we're going to see what lessons for our unexpected lives we can learn from theirs. And here's a little special project as we're working through this. Uh, someone already sent me one email like this. They saw the series and they said, you know, my life has taken some unexpected turns. I bet yours has too. And, and maybe the thing that surprised you, you also, as time has passed, you've come to see how God has used it. So if you've got a story like that, the unexpected, maybe it was a really happy unexpected, maybe it was a tragic unexpected, or somewhere in between, but you've come to see how God used it in your life, go ahead, write it down and send it to me. I would love to see your story. And you can just email it to me or send it to the church office. That would be great. Uh, the first character I thought we would look at this morning is old Father Abraham, which explains why Sarah had us singing 
that song, which is kind of the Christian version of the hokey pokey, right? <laughs> you guys all heard that the guy that invented the hokey pokey had died recently. Things went pretty well until the mortician tried to put him in the coffin. First, they put his left leg in. <laughs> well, the guy who ended up being the father of a nation didn't really start out with any such expectations. That was not on Abraham's five-year plan. He simply started out as a herder of livestock in a place with a name that is just about as odd as Squim. It says he lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. That's it. You are Ur. Where are you from? I'm from Ur. So it's more than that. It's Ur of the Chaldees, which I'm thinking, how many Urs were there in ancient Mesopotamia <laughs> that you had to define which one you were from? Of course, that's not really what it's about. It's telling you that the, the Chaldees were the ones that were uh, in charge around Ur. But that's where this guy started off. As best as we can tell from modern archaeology, it was probably located somewhere near Baghdad, Iraq. Uh, he didn't even start out with the name Abraham. Abraham uh, means father of many nations, but in the beginning, he was just known as Abraham. The father is exalted, which is not a great name for a guy who didn't have any kids. Uh, we find out that he was one of three brothers. And it appears that one of his brothers, a guy named Heron, died relatively young. We really know nothing more about Heron in the biblical account except that he died. Sometime after his death, Abram, his wife Sarai, their nephew Lot, and Abram's father Terah moved west uh, from Ur to a place called Haran. And, and it struck me as I was looking at it this week that the place they moved to had the same name as the brother that died. The Bible doesn't explain the name of the place, but it may tell us that Heron's death for a long time shaped the identity of Abram's family. When they went to a new place and they set up camp, they named it. For Haran. And it was at Haran that more tragedy came. Abram's father died, and Abram became the leader of his family. But here's what struck me as I thought about that God didn't want Abram's losses of the past to define his future. It was at Haran that Abraham first received a promise from God that was literally the turning point in human histories. Abram's life would not be defined by the unexpected losses of his past, but by a new promise, a new calling to move into an unexpected future of significance. And, and could I just say that one of the things the unexpected can bring into our lives, especially the unexpected and tragic, there's, there's a right time. There's a right time, a right period for grief. But sometimes we set up camp there and we never move on. And there comes a point where God is going to call us to move on from Haran because he has a future for us. And that future will be informed by our past, 
God may use the past, the good and the bad, to shape what he's calling us into in the future, but he doesn't want us to stay in the past. And the day came that God called Abram to move on from Haran. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And with that, Abram, the small-town herder of livestock, became Abram, the nomad of faith. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament reflects back on Abram and says this. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, Burnett can attest that this is often the way that I travel. But Abram heard God calling him out, even though he didn't know where that future was. He didn't know what the next destination was. He just knew that God had said, Abraham, it's time to leave where you are. One more fact that struck me as I was reading the story of Abram, and it's found in the very next verse, after God makes his promise and tells him to move out. Here's Genesis 12.4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He was not a young guy. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less eager I am about undertaking huge new adventures. Uh, you know, when I was young, that kind of stuff was exciting. Uh, I've started a couple of businesses. Uh, I remember well the hard work that went into that. Uh, the miles that were logged, cold calling on offices, passing my business card, hours spent on the phone, learning that it's not the end of the world that people hang up on you. Um, the effort it takes to build a business, to develop relationships, to develop vendors, to build websites and databases, to set up a warehouse. I remember setting up our warehouse and uh, we do medical equipment, and it was over in Marysville, so it's a long drive, and I was working late, so I decided I would just spend the night at the warehouse. And since we have medical equipment, we had gurneys. So I decided I would just spend the night on a gurney in the warehouse. I needed something to read by, so I pulled over a surgical microscope and turned the light on. Let me just tell you, that's a very weird way to spend a night by yourself in a warehouse on a gurney. In fact, I never did that again. Uh, learning about P&L statements and balance sheets and hiring employees and managing employees and even letting employees go. Uh, the list goes on, and, and there was a lot of hard work. But it was exciting, too. But to think about starting all of that all over again now, well, you know, no thanks. But Abram started this whole new adventure at 75. Now, to be fair, 75 for Abraham maybe wasn't a direct comparison to 75 for us because we're told later in Genesis 25 that Abram lived to be 175. And I'm not going to go into all the fine points and debates about how ages are recorded in the Old Testament, but I think we can safely say that while Abraham by their measures 
may not have been considered elderly at 75. He wasn't a kid either. Uh, considering his total lifespan, if he wasn't already a card-carrying ARP member, he was at least solidly middle-aged. So here's one takeaway I think we can pull from Abram's life. God's calling to new adventures and bold steps of faith is not something that he reserves just for the young. There's no evidence that Abram was seeking a new adventure, but we know that when God called, Abram did the most important thing. He answered. And that seems pretty relevant to a place like Squim. You probably know the median age here is 57, which is only middle-aged if you live to be 114. I said before that Squim is often a place that people move to because they want to stop doing things. But it's also a place people come because they are done doing one set of things and they're on the hunt for the next. And that is especially true for followers of Jesus. I've had some really delightful conversations over the last few months of people who are new to Squim and when they moved here they weren't just trying to figure out where to go to play good bingo. They showed up and they said, I'm trying to figure out how God wants to use me. How does he want me to invest these years of my life, this new chapter, when I have more flexibility, what does God want to do with me? We have younger adults doing the same thing. And here's what I'd like to challenge you with. If you haven't already done it, if you haven't asked those kinds of questions about your life, I want you to start asking the question. And I want you to make it a topic of prayer. Go to God and say, Lord, I am ready and willing. If there's a new thing that you want me to do, just call me. Maybe you've gotten stuck in Heron. Maybe there's something from the past that you have allowed to become the thing that defines you and, and you just haven't moved on. Go to God, open your hands and say, Lord, here it is. You know how much it hurts. You know how disappointed I was. You know how disillusioned I felt. You know how stuck I feel inside. But God, I do not want Heron to be the place that I spend the rest of my life. And, and if you'll call me, if you'll show me something, I will go. And don't put a lot of conditions on, us, on it. You know, some of us are willing to do anything God calls us to as long as it's on a Tuesday afternoon doesn't require any prep time and doesn't involve children or other people. <laughs> Don't tell God what the job has to look like. Just ask him to open the door and then give you the courage to step through it. God may surprise you with an unexpected call and you may find that you love it in an unexpected way. Abram didn't know where he was going, but when God called, he went. Abraham's response to God's call led him on this multi-year journey, and it wasn't all easy. He went through deserts. He even went through a famine. Along the way, Abram must have wondered if the promise that God made was ever really going to become true. In fact, I'm sure Abram kept thinking and wondering about it because God kept repeating the promise. If you read the story of Abram that stretches from Genesis 12 through 25, you'll find that God repeated his promise at least seven times to Abraham. He didn't want him to forget that he was still at work, even though Abraham couldn't clearly see how it was going to come about. 
It's a good reminder to me that doing what God asked me to do doesn't mean I'll see immediate fruit, which is a lesson that's probably getting harder and harder for us to embrace in our instant access world. Over Christmas, we had our grandkids with us, and one day we spotted the seven-year-old talking to a box. Actually, it was a stereo speaker, and she kept trying to tell it to play music, not realizing that not every speaker answers to the name Alexa. I read a conversation recently between a father and daughter, and the dad had overheard his daughter giving Alexa a command to play her favorite song. And he told her, he said, when I was your age, I had to call a radio station and wait on hold for 30 minutes to request a song, then sit by my boombox for an hour for my song to play with a blank cassette tape so I could record it. And his daughter replied, I don't understand anything you just said. <laughs> you think about how we do business now. I remember when I started as a medical broker, and I'd have someone in California that said, hey, could I see a piece of equipment that you're selling? I had to get my Polaroid camera, take a picture, put an envelope, put a stamp on, put it in the mail, called them a few days later to say, did you get the letter, right? Nowadays, if someone asks me that question, I can walk out, pull my phone out, turn on a live video chat, and we can all look at it together right there. We, we live in a world that is so accustomed to everything happening immediately. And yet, God doesn't always work on that kind of schedule. Just because our technological expectations of immediate gratification have grown, that doesn't mean that God's work in the speed of life necessarily moves like that. Sometimes the unexpected thing we struggle with is slowness. And the walk of faith is a walk of patience. Impatience is not just a sin of modern people. Even Abram, a man living in a time far slower than our own, began to think that maybe God needed some help. He got the promise at age 75, promise he'd be father to a great nation. What he didn't have was he didn't have any kids. And he continued to not have any kids for a long time. And when you're 75 already, you hear the clock ticking. Genesis 16 tells us that it was 11 years later that Abram begins to think that maybe time is running out for this promise to become a reality. Actually, it was his wife, Sarai, who seems to have brought up the subject of doing something to help jumpstart the process. And her idea was that since she wasn't getting pregnant, maybe it was time for a surrogate. And so to that end, she volunteered one of her servant girls named Hagar. It was a perfectly rational plan. It just wasn't God's plan. And even though Abram and Sarai were trying to help, when you read the story, you find that all they did was they made a mess. Abraham had to wait another 13 years 23 years from the time he first heard the promise until he saw the promise fulfilled. Genesis 17 through 18 tells us that God reiterated the promise of a son for Abram and Sarai when Abram was 99 years old. God comes back again and says, no, I'm still going to do this. You know, they may have lived a little longer than us, but 99. I was still over the hill by anybody's measure when it came to starting a family. And it's at this seemingly impossible point 
that God changes Abram's name from just being uh, Abram, the honored father. He moves it to being Abram, the father of many nations. If honored father sounded like a misnomer to a guy with no heirs, being redubbed father of many nations had to almost sound like mockery. A couple weeks ago, I shared some of the dialogue between Abram, the Lord, and Sarai a few weeks ago. I'm going to share it again because it's just too good. Uh, the messenger of God has come to Abram, here we are, 99 years old, and says, you're going to have a son with Sarah. And that seems silly, though, because they're just too old. Here's the response. Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Okay? This is not going to happen. All right? All that Sarah's having at this point are hot flashes. <laughs> so we're told, Genesis 18, 12, Sarah quite logically laughs and says, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I don't think I should be decorating a nursery at this point in my life. The Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, you know what Abraham's thinking down inside? This is. <laughs> it certainly is what Sarah was thinking. Sarah denied it. She said, I, I, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, oh, yeah, you did. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking there's no way that this can come to pass because of your age. And then against all odds, at age 100, Abraham finds himself passing out cigars. Well, probably not, but you get the idea. His son, Sarah's son, Isaac, was born. And Sarah, as I mentioned before, named him Laughter, Isaac. So the takeaway, it's not just the young and middle-aged folks that God can surprise with unexpected new gifts and callings. I think about Glenn Brown, who was in his 80s when he got involved in an amazing ministry in the Ukraine. In fact, if you know, in our congregation, Glenn wasn't the only one that got involved in Ukraine. Norm Hardy, our brother, God opened up doors for Norm, both Norm and Glenn, fairly late in life, to become involved with ministry in the Ukraine. God called Glenn home a number of years ago. Those of you who don't know, our brother Norm was called home yesterday morning. But here were men who, in later stages of their life, heard God's call and answered it. And God opened these doors. He used them. In fact, I was supposed to take a trip with Glenn to the Ukraine to go visit churches he'd ministered in when Glenn was 90 years old. He's going to take me on the sightseeing trip. God actually called Glenn home before we got to take that trip, so I had to take the trip on my own. But everywhere I went, I ran into people whose lives had been touched by Glenn's ministry. So I just want to say, give God room, whatever your age, to call you and use you. And don't laugh too soon. Don't tell God what is possible or impossible. Let him be the one to decide that. God may still have some joy-filled, unexpected surprises in store for you. Quick aside about Ukraine. I was looking at a photo essay a couple weeks ago. I think it was, it was CNN or it was one of the British newspapers. Anyway, they showed in their essay this photo of a bombed-out building 
out there on the front in Ukraine. This is where the conflict is going on with Russia. And this uh, was hit in 2015. And I'm looking at this picture, this bombed out building here in the snow, and I thought, this looks kind of familiar. And I look back at my own photos. Yep, I was at the same building back in 2018. But in fact, when I was there, we're being shown, they're showing us all the shell casings on the ground. The driver stopped in the middle of this one street, and he said, Often at night, the snipers fire down this street. I'm thinking, why are we sitting here in the middle of this street? Let's move, right? I finally said, how many Americans have been out here? He goes, you were probably the first. <laughs> but while we were there, we met this pastor, young pastor and his family and his two kids, sweet, sweet kids. And I've thought about them a lot these last few weeks. And I just want to bring it up for all of you to be praying for the people of Ukraine. This family is right in the middle of where that conflict is apt to break out. There's a, there's a sweet Christian congregation right there. Be praying for those people that God will provide for them. Well, there was one more major unexpected in Abraham's life. And once again, it revolved around this beautiful, amazing, miracle son that he'd received so late in life. But this unexpected was shocking to Abraham. Genesis 22 tells us the story of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. The story punctuates the painful drama of this command. Genesis 22, 1 and 2. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham, the thing that you've waited for your whole life, the beautiful promise that I fulfilled when it was impossible, I would like for you to take your only hope of becoming what I told you would be, a father of many nations. And I would like you to offer him up as a sacrifice. The important thing to note right at the outset is we're told that God was testing Abraham. It was a test. Shane, I'm going to bet that we don't have the sound up on that, do we? Yeah. This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. I bet Abraham wished he'd heard that message when the request came in. Don't worry, Abraham, this is just a test. You're not really going to have to go through with this. But that's not what Abraham heard. What Abraham heard was, I want you to go and give up your son. Abraham didn't know what the outcome was going to be. All he knew was what God had asked him to do. The really amazing thing to me is Abraham's response to what God said. Look what he does. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place at which God had told him. He got up early, 
You know, if that was me, this would have taken me days to get around to, even if I was willing to obey. Abraham just gets up and goes. If you know the story, Abraham doesn't just start the trip promptly. He goes all the way to the point where it seems inevitable that his son would die. But God stops him. So what was that all about? I mean, this offering Isaac on the altar. I mean, this wasn't something God requested on a regular basis. In fact, it's the only instance we have in the Bible where anything like this is asked of someone. In fact, elsewhere, God makes it clear that he detests any kind of a human sacrifice. But you see, the question of the test was, Abraham, what do you value more? The blessing or the blesser? If you could only keep one, which would it be, Abraham? Now, if God had posed that question while Isaac was still just a twinkle in Abraham's eye, maybe it would have been easy to say, well, sure, God, you're number one. You know, I mean, if, if I had a son, you still would be number one. But, but this is different now. When the thing that Abraham longed for most was right in front of him, the question as to his ultimate devotion was far more poignant. For a man like Abraham to give up his only son, the thing for which he is willing to sacrifice has to be of inestimable value. Pastor Britt shared an article with me recently by a friend of his, Dave Hillis. He's the president of Leadership Foundations. And he talks about an insight that was made long ago by St. Ignatius. Here's what he says. The chief enemy of the soul is not what is commonly understood as matters of the flesh, but rather inordinate attachments that restrict us from the freedom God intends for us. We overly fasten on to things, people, experiences, even good things, good people, and good experiences that keep one's soul from becoming what God intended. The question God was posing to Abraham was, Abraham? What is your soul fastened to? You know, I am truly grateful for God's blessings in my life. But there have been occasions where a blessing has turned into an idol. You ever had that experience? It's not that the blessing was somehow bad. The problem was when my heart began to depend on that blessing for my happiness. And then if anything threatened or took that thing away, my heart could become lost in anxiety, in fear, in bitterness, maybe even bitterness toward God. I'll tell you a real personal story on this. Uh, when Burnett and I met really young, uh, I was in eighth grade, she was in ninth, we met at the bus stop. Uh, I was immediately smitten with her, right? I, I, I've been crazy about her for years. I didn't have quite the same effect on her. Um, <laughs> took a little time, showing that persistence pays. Um, but you know, I discovered in our relationship, as much as I loved her, and, and as our relationship grew, as great of a blessing that was in my life, I discovered I had this problem. My problem was jealousy. If I saw another guy talking to her, I, I, could, I could feel my stomach start churning. There was this, this unhealthy possessiveness because I wanted her just for me. 
And I knew it was bad. I knew it was wrong. There was nothing wrong with her. She was a wonderful person. She was a great blessing in my life. But where my heart had gone with it, that was unhealthy. And the time finally came on our relationship, thought I was going to die, that I broke up with her. Because I knew that God was saying to me, Tim, what matters most in your life? Is what matters most in your life holding on to this relationship? Or is it holding on to me? You know, I discovered some stuff about myself in that process that wasn't very good. Uh, one of the things I discovered was I had this belief down inside of me that um, being loved was something I had to control. I, 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 had to, uh, I had to be in control of the situation with her for, in order for her to love me because she wouldn't just love me on her own. I, I had to be in control. I had that same attitude toward God. I, I needed to do all the right stuff. I needed to somehow be in control of that relationship so that God would love me. God wouldn't just love me because he wanted to love me. And, and, you know, after we went through that breakup, and I was sure I'd never see her again because there were so many guys who were better looking, more talented, more spiritual, you name it, she'd be gone. If I wasn't in control, she was going to be gone. We had a few months apart. We got back together. I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be awkward. She comes up, she gives me a hug, and she says, I love you. I can't tell you what a thunderclap that was in my life. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but I haven't done anything. I haven't been in control. I haven't, I haven't made you love me. You're telling me you just love me because you love me. And I'll tell you what, there was a moment there where God kind of spoke to me and said the same thing. It's like, Tim, do you understand that I just love you because I love you? Not because you've earned it, not because you made me, not because you manipulated me into it, just because I love you. Maybe there's something that you are just hanging on to frantically and you're just terrified to let go. And it's a good thing. But God's saying, would you open your hand and let me have it? Not because I'm going to hurt you, not because I want to do something bad to you, but because your heart needs to open up. You know, the crazy thing was, after we got back together, it was a few months before I realized I had not had any jealous thoughts about her. I had tried for a long time to beat that on my own. I just couldn't. When I finally let go, God was able to do something in my heart that changed me. God looked at Abraham and he said, Abraham, what matters most to you? The blessing or the blesser? Are you willing to let go? And Abraham rose to the test. I don't think it said as much to God that God didn't already know. I think it's what it did inside of Abraham's heart that really mattered. You know, I think God was also up to something bigger than just Abraham's experience. All through the history of Israel, he was also building this rich tapestry of images pointing to and framing up his ultimate plan. And one day it would not be Abraham, a father of nations, being willing to give up his only son out of love for God. It would be God, the father of all, out of immeasurable love for us, who would willingly give up his son. And once again, it would be God himself who would provide a sacrifice, not to spare himself, but to spare us from the just eternal consequences of our own stupid, rebellious choices. Here's how Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
See, that was me and my grasping. I, I didn't really believe at the core of my being that God wanted to graciously give me all good things. I was pretty sure that the best thing around I had to grab for myself. And Paul says, what are you thinking? That the God who was not resistant to giving up his very own son out of love for you, do you really think that he is not going to give you what is best for you? Do we trust him? Do we believe that? Do you really think that God couldn't still love you and not let you keep that thing that you're hanging on to? Blessings are God's to give, not ours to grasp. Is there something that you need to let go of? So, quick recap on some of the unexpected lessons I think we can draw from Abraham. The greatest adventure may start later than you think. God's promises may be fulfilled later than you expect. God's provision may come through means that you think are impossible. And God's greatest treasure is not the thing promised, but it's living in relationship with the one who makes the promises. Amen?